0: Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media, and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories, and we'll be joined by various business people on each episode to discuss the week's news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs, and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting their legal problems out. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. Welcome along to this week's episode of The Business Herald, episode number 15. Thanks very much for listening. This week, I'm joined by Michael Wheat of Ponds by Michael Wheat and Kevin Dunn of Fernley House. Michael is the managing director of National Pond and Swim Pond Installation Company. He's taken the company from nothing to over 30 staff and 2 million plus turnover over the last 10 years, including an increase during COVID lockdown. He's an avid learner and loves helping other small businesses to avoid them making the same mistakes he made. Kevin is a director of Fernley House, an independent financial planning advisory firm. He's responsible for growing awareness of the firm within the communities they operate, and to help people make sense of their finances and achieve great things. Welcome along, both. Cheers, Steve. Thanks. This week's big news story is on Wednesday with Chancellor Rishi Sunak's spending review. It's like Black Friday, but for government. He's going to spend millions and billions in lots of places, but warned that the economic emergency is only just beginning. The economy was 11.3% smaller this year, and he says it will take five years for it to get back to pre-pandemic levels. On top of that, the Office for Budget Responsibility said that a no-deal Brexit would be a bigger hit to the economy than the coronavirus. We also saw the announcement yesterday of which tier are you in, which is like a rubbish version of the god-tier great, good, terrible ranking games on Twitter, but with people's lives and businesses at stake, so plenty to discuss. Gentlemen, the general consensus in the business world seems to be that the spending review was somewhat underwhelming. And that uh, although there was to be quite a bit of spending, none of it appeared to be aimed at the business world. Instead, it saw cuts to public pay, reduction in foreign aid and and things like that. So my question to start things off is what could Rishi have done to make you think, well, that would be a real help to SMEs or has he already done enough already? Michael, I'll come to you to start with.
1: Yeah, we, we previously had a chat about this just while we was waiting Um, and my thoughts are I think they've done an incredible amount up to now I think it's so easy for everyone to be so critical of what the government does and and I understand that's the purpose of you know having these kind of conversations having podcasts and you know whatever the media do but I, I really feel that you know when things happened in March the end of March my team were fearing you know what's going to happen next what we're going to do and as a company we decided right we'll close the company down and what I did was I spent a lot of time doing cash flow projections how long could the company survive without having any work uh, we contacted all our clients and made sure they was okay and we prepared for it and then when they announced furlough it was like wow okay that's an amazing help for us now we only took a month out so we didn't we didn't Need to take any more than that, really. So, we were fortunate in that case, but that was just an absolute massive help. But I mean, it, it's almost crazy to think that furlough is going to, you know, you were saying, Stephen, before that some people are going to possibly be on furlough for a year, you know, where the government has paid their wages, which I, I just think is unbelievable that we've done that. And I understand that's going to have a lot of pressure on the GDP and us paying the money back, etc., etc. But I I really feel like the more you give, and I find this a lot in life, the more you give, the more that's expected, the the entitlement argument. And I just feel that I think the government are in a really difficult position now. They've done all they can do. They've been put under tremendous pressure to do what they've done. Um, And I think they're in a difficult position going forward. I I don't genuinely believe that they can just keep handing out and handing out. I think at some stage, we're going to have to just see what the fallout is and... Basically, get on with life. Really,
0: mm. no, so, I. I, no, I think I think you're right. And I think what, what I was uh, what I've said in the past before is, um, as a nation, we've had uh, what a lot of people have described as a, an, an entitlement culture. And we normally we see that it's tabloid kind of headlines on um, people that are on benefits and they're you know they they think they're entitled to things. And what we've almost created by the um, the government's extravagance. In uh, in subsidies is more people that feel they're entitled to have handouts. Um, so as I was saying, the stats now show that there's going to be three million people still on furlough in March, um, and, uh, and and those people are still you know sitting there going, well, you know, I I should have more, and yet they will have been paid by the government eighty percent of their salary for effectively a year. Um, and, and I think that there's, um, you know, that there is that entitlement culture of people expecting stuff, expecting stuff. Uh, interestingly, there's um, the, the, the excluded, hashtag excluded is the thing that, uh, that's on social media. These are the people that are um, sole directors uh, of their own company and therefore not eligible for uh, to claim furlough, not eligible for the self-employed grants. And so they are, you know, they're excluded. And there was a question asked. Uh, after the spending review of Rishi on it, and uh, and he basically said that there there aren't any people that have been excluded from that from the handouts, and to some extent that's probably true in that they could still get business, you know, bounce back loans, they could still get some sort of, payroll uh, payments, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but Kevin, what do you think? Could could Rishi do some more, or is he is he reached the end of the line? What are your thoughts? Wow,
2: there's lo- loads of things, <laughs> loads of things to consider. There, I certainly don't envy his task. Yeah. Uh, is, is, is it's a bit of a thankless task really what is what is having to do um uh, if i is similar to what michael said really is and again what you guys were, were mentioning earlier that it, it can he do more he's it, thrown so much money at it um there's an, an argument an old argument um it's almost like a pub talk, really, a if people might say, give everyone ten thousand pounds with the proviso they have to spend it on the high street or to get the high streets re- revitalized. And it's kind of almost what he's doing is just chucking money at everyone, just spend it and try and keep the economy alive. Um, it's I don't know if it's well, it's certainly not sustainable. There's at some point it has to stop. Um, also as well, I guess people are getting money. People certain people are having money thrown at them in in, in certain industries. Um, people are still making money and we're not been we're not really been able to spend it on on anything other than Amazon, really. <laughs> so um, uh, again, Amazon are loving it. Yeah, Amazon are loving it, and the bigger corporates are loving it more. And again, just going out and about during this latest lockdown, um the the, the shops and everything that are open seem to be the big stores, and the independents and the smaller stores are not open. So it just seems it just seems a bit crazy. I, I, it's a thankless task to have had to throw all these rules in the mix relatively quickly. Certainly for governments in government timescales, when it can take months and years to get things passed, and they're just kind of making it up on the spot. Um, and I guess so. I'm throwing loads of things at you here, guys, but. Yeah, I guess also these people who are making all the rules, they've, they've got no real... Um, or not. Make, I don't want to sound too revolutionary here, but the people who are making these um, um, rules and the spending plans and, and, and the like on, on the fly, they've not got no real business, or a lot of them have got no real business experience between them. So they've not run businesses from the ground up, they've not um, necessarily employed loads of people they've not ran they're not it's, it's not like ceos of companies that actually know what businesses might want um and they can't feel it they don't they don't seem to feel the workers and feel what, what's happening as, as much as they could um i've got a
1: theory, i've got a theory on that by the way
2: oh, my sorry point. to sorry know, to break. interrupt
1: about mps so you absolutely bang on they don't have the business experience but that is for a reason if if they had if they were able to do in business what really good business owners could do why would you be an MP? No, I, why yeah. would
2: yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> why right. would
1: you why would you have seventy grand a year and get all the stick they get? The reason they do that job is because they can't or they're not able to or they're not able to the personal growth to run a business.
2: No, it's a problem. I, I've I've heard that. No, I completely agree, Michael. I, I've, I've I'm sure I heard something. Again, it's. I, I, fairly recently people moaning about MPs getting a pay rise, getting paid I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure what the Prime Minister's on but he's certainly not on as much as the um, CEO of Lloyds Bank who's probably no, um, no one millions and millions but much I think rather, it's a hundred I'm,
1: grand a year I think something yeah
2: like hundred yeah, grand a year in some companies that's like middle, middle management almost senior management but who I'd want running my country, I'd much rather have the um, Antonio Horta Azario. running company running a bit running my um, running my country rather than boris blessing but no, the reality
1: um, is they're never going to want to run the country because
2: no, why would you want to do it
1: for that money and all the stick they get so because of I'll, how we're set up we're kind of stuck with that that is the kind of government you're going to have isn't it so you know we, because of how
2: we, it is so should we look to again and is is that whole is that whole model flawed and how we how we elect people to run our country should should it be should it be imagine if you went for a a multi-million pound job or even a a million pound a year job you was going to employ somebody for even like 200 grand a year whatever you'd go through a number of interviews and they'd be really strict you'd have loads of candidates and i don't know i'm not sure but um yeah yeah, if you wanted
1: someone really highly qualified to run the country let's say you you would easily pay a million pound a year you would say that the job is, is absolutely worth a million pounds a year. The problem with that is always going to be is convincing the nation. Like, unfortunately, a very small percentage of the nation would agree that's the way to go and to get someone absolutely qualified that can make these big decisions. But, but unfortunately, that is that is just no, never going to happen because it would have to be a big revolutionary change. And it's not necessarily the change that most people would support.
2: No. Um, well, I, I listened to a podcast, relatively probably about a year ago, and there was a there was a charity in America. that was it was one of the biggest charities. I forgive me because I can't remember the name the necessary details. So the details might not be exactly bang on, but they they of their they used to raise millions and millions of pounds. But they used they also had a payroll of a good few million on the payroll. And I know their CEO was on again. Probably half a million, for example, and then they got loads of downward pressure to say, actually, this this can't happen. You can't pay your CEO, wh- h- however much money, to run a charity. It's not fair. And they got loads of pressure to reduce the salaries, reduce the workforce, and as a result, I think the the charity either folded in the end or completely reduced. So the amount of money it was actually making was just less. And again, the same argument that w- these really intelligent people, why why would you be a CEO of a charity? and earn a hundred grand and get loads of house and be rich or you could earn a million and just do some work for a and the irony is as well this person said i could earn more money and i can actually donate half my salary half a million of my salary and it would be so i would be giving more i'll be donating more but actually the country would be worse off because i'm not actually helping them raise loads of more money i think so mm. but it's a, a funny anomaly but could yeah. could where, where I'd like to see the spending going guys in my opinion that I don't think they've hit enough they've, they've hit enough of the um of the points are um environmental and green and I think it's a a massive opportunity to to really um really change change our country change the world um, and we lead the way in some respects but I just think we could it, it, it just it, we could completely yeah, we we could go to town on it really, and there's loads of arguments in the world to do with. Um, again, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for a Netflix documentary, and I'll watch I'll watch a Netflix documentary, and I'll think that's gospel for the next week until I see a documentary with the counter argument, and then I'll think that's gospel for another couple of weeks. But I've, I've I've watched a lot of documentaries about veganism, and it's it's a very compelling argument about veganism and um, and how it. How it contributes completely to climate change. Then, what your guys' thoughts are on that?
0: Yeah, I've I, need watched to give the, you I I've watched the other documentary. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I wanted to come back to a point that you you, you mentioned um, uh, a little bit earlier on in that uh, epic speech. Um, <laughs> <that,
1: laughs> We've ended with something you don't wanna talk
0: about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's the smaller, smaller businesses, the smaller operators that have, uh, that have closed. They're the ones that have been kind of shut down in, in the lockdown with the bigger ones um, that have been somehow magically been able to operate. And there's another perhaps controversial viewpoint on that, which is that it's just the way in which the businesses have chosen to adapt. Um, and recognize the problem and go okay how are we going to deal with this so so for instance um, when we had um, Dominic Gomesol on from Lumbers you know he was talking and and his competitors like Goldsmiths and rather than lockdown and shutting up shop having personal appointments which seems to be a way around uh, around the rules um, or, or operating click and collect type schemes which again is a a, you know a way of getting around the rules you're allowed to um, to kind of do that or going to a delivery based model and doing that and and so the controversial viewpoint would be well is it that uh, just that these small businesses uh, haven't had that desire or haven't had the knowledge to learn change adapt and do something a bit different and and Michael I guess your business um, during the, the, the lockdown or maybe after that initial period has had to do some changes um, to the way in which it's kind of you know delivered or, or worked, and tried to get new clients. Um, and you could have had yeah. two options: you could turn around and go, no, shut the shutters down, we we can't do anything, no one's going to buy a pond that's fifty thousand pounds because lockdown, pandemic. Or you can do something about it and change.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm listening to you going. I really agree with this. Yeah, this is this is definitely down my street of thought. I remember we uh, where we used to live. We, behind us there was a pub and the pub had completely closed down for obvious reasons during lockdown. This is earlier in the year. And I said to Gemma, if I owned that pub, there's absolutely no way i will be doing nothing. You know, I would have done takeaway beer, I would have done meals and done takeaway meals. I just think there's such an opportunity to diversify, but I do... Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to get heavily criticised by pub owners at this point, but I do, I do think that sometimes... There's a bit of a mentality of, oh well, we've got to shut the doors, can't do anything about it. That's it. Okay, we'll just chill out then. And and the only reason why I'm so passionate about it is because um, people around me were doing something similar, which I found not in my business, but you know, people I know, and I, and I found it really frustrating because, uh, like I said, Stephen joined um, lockdown. We so we we spent a month off site. Beginning of April, uh, end of March, we decided we've got to come off site. You know, things aren't um, looking good. We, we, we don't know what's happening. Unprecedented times. The staff was worrying. I said, we made the big decision. We close all operations down. But I think at the time, I thought it was going to be three months. But I just said, we'll just close it down half for now. hour. I'll keep updating the staff. And we had weekly meetings of all the team, kept everybody updated. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're thinking. And we eventually went back on site in May, but during that April period, I don't think I've ever worked harder than that period and just purely focused on, how do we get the company stronger than before? How do we diversify? And one of the big changes we made was, we used to just go out and see people for nothing. So someone rings up, can have a pond, a swim pond, whatever the inquiry was, we'll just come out and see you. So at the time I had one sales guy and me and I really wanted to change that culture So one of the things we did was we offered a Zoom meeting and everyone seemed to be so receptive to Zoom through what happened with COVID. So that really helped us. So we did an initial Zoom meeting and then we um, slowly reintroduced, because we used to do it, but not as successful as we do it now, reintroduced a design fee so that we, we now don't go out and see anybody unless they've paid us a design fee. I think our lowest design fee is about a grand. So, you know, and it goes up. There's lots of different levels and lots of different work. We won't actually go out and see anybody or do any quotes. So obviously some people don't really understand that process and they'll ring us up and say, well, can't you just come out and have a look? No, we can't. No, that's not how we operate. Because there is a cost to me, the company. And I know exactly what my costs are because I'm pretty good on the spreadsheet. And I know that if I send somebody out with no opportunity of anything, we're just going to lose money. And one thing we've had to do this year is limit all these different places we're going to lose money because it's going to be hard enough dealing in this environment and so it brings me back onto the my original point was I think a lot of businesses haven't reacted that well in my opinion we are in a fortunate position because we can go and work outside absolutely I put my hands up and say yes we've been very fortunate that being the case but I think a lot of smaller companies haven't gone what could we do differently and I, there's somebody I know I spoke to and he just said well, I've had my rent paid for for the year. We're not going to pay my rent for a year, and I've had this ten grand loan. I've got no uh, rates to pay. I'm happy to set a year off. I'm a bit annoyed. I had to come back work really. And he was the owner of the company, and I just thought, oh, I wish I could be like that. Well, I don't wish I could be like. Oh, I'm really pleased I'm not like that. You know that actually, I kind of looked at my team, and at the time, I think we employed twenty people, and I went, you No, know, all their livelihoods are in my hand. My family's livelihoods are in my hand, and I, and I just felt that I've got to work that much harder so that the business benefits from it. But that's why we kind of have this, you know, I know people don't like capitalism and and I understand that, you know, people want to move to the left and all, and I get that. And I get that we should have this, well, we all work, work with each other. But ultimately, there's always going to be people out there that are going to work a lot harder to have what they have. And in my opinion, they should be rewarded because of that. So if you're going to work really hard, you're going to put the time in, you're going to learn from your mistakes, you should be rewarded for that. And I do feel that, yes, some people have had no choice through the pandemic. I accept that. But I don't think everybody has done everything they could do. So uh, I hope I, I, And you mentioned company directors. I, I wrote it down because I just wanted to mention this. I remember at the time a lot of people was kicking off. But when they first started furlough, a lot of company directors were saying, well, this isn't fair. I can't claim 75% of my earnings or whatever. And I I wrote a few things on Facebook and they didn't all all go down so well. And I said, well, if you was paying yourself a wage and paying national insurance, then you would be able to claim, you know, up to whatever it was, two and a half grand. But because you've been paying yourself a dividend, then that kind of doesn't work for this system. But actually, paying a dividend is a way of paying less tax. And anyone that says any different obviously doesn't understand why it's done. It is a way of paying less tax so because of that you have to accept you can't have it every way for, for the same reason a lot of self-employed people complained about them not earning as much money i've got a real run too haven't i um, but, but, but ultimately
0: with self-employed, the self-employed people, employed are you, people are saying yeah you know, but they go off my accounts and that's not the actual reality
2: of it. yeah, yeah. why
1: is it the reality Oh, well, it's, to take cash out. Well, it's the okay, reality, well,
2: yeah. It's the reality that they get child benefits and, sorry, child tax credits and working tax credits. It's what they calculate your your income on, so...
1: Yeah, 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 you and you're happy with that, but yeah. they're not happy when it's done the other way. So if you are dodging paying taxes in any kind of way, and legal dodging, absolutely, in some cases, maybe not always, was it's self-employed. If, you, if you're doing that, then you have to accept that you can't then put your hand out for help when the government isn't going to provide help for people that have paid taxes and we pay a lot of money in tax in VAT, and all this kind of thing so we pay out all this money and when we needed the help the government was there for us and when we didn't need the help we stopped using it so you know but that so yeah i found that a little bit frustrating in this period and and when i've expressed some views I, i got attacked a little bit on facebook for it but i you know it's just the way i felt about it that Okay. you know we, don't, we, we can't blame everyone else for it can we we've got to take responsibility ourselves for where we're at
2: i agree i think with your being from um, having a lot of being contact as well michael the um you'd probably know a lot of self-employed people that probably that, <laughs> i can understand that not going down too well with a lot of people so i felt i felt that but i never voiced that because um well yeah i never voiced that because yeah for that very reason really i, I try not to be too controversial but um uh, yeah, so it's
1: probably not always a good thing. And like even like even me and Stephen, I've had arguments on Facebook with each other because it's so adamant on views. Um, it was about inquiries, wasn't it, Stephen? I'd love to take your task on that again. But anyway, that's different. Now. Um, <laughs> but 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 sometimes when it comes to business, I, and I understand that like I can be quite a frustrating character where people, are, I always think this is right. And it was, you know, and like Lindsay, my general manager, would say to you, she goes. Michael will sometimes say something, he'll go back and think about it, and then he'll, and then he'll, he'll, he'll react a little bit differently, because sometimes I react a bit emotionally, like we all do sometimes, um, and I just found a bit of the, I'm not a big fan of poor me, poor me, that's, that's probably one of my biggest annoyances in life, um, is that people want to blame other people for everything. So yeah, I, I just so this whole conversation's got me going really. So <laughs> the clips of this being made now, they're just going to clip certain parts out of this podcast and make me sound awful, aren't they?
0: It's it's, it's just me no, get it's, on with it. I I I I like uh, having opinions and a bit of controversy because it just means that you're being real and you're being yourself, and I think that's the best way in life generally. Um, you know, you might upset some people, but other people will like it. So. Um, so that, that's that's that i've'm fed up of sitting on the fence one of the things I, uh, that you touched upon Michael was um, was about the, the the taxation of things and, and tax there's been a couple of reports out this week um, so one said that uh, that the government should scrap corporation tax and um, because it would have the effect of um, creating more jobs, uh, reducing consumer prices, and, um, and making more dividends, making people uh, richer, but also um, seeking, uh, you know, outside external investment into the into the country. But then we have the, um, uh, the Office for Fiscal Studies saying that uh, that, that, that the um, Prime Minister and the Chancellor are going to have to breach their manifesto um, pledge not to increase income tax, VAT, or national insurance because we've got to find a way of, of finding a 40 billion tax hole somewhere along the lines um so my question to both of you guys should taxes go up to be able to pay for the support
2: that we've given to everybody uh kevin let's start with you well i, I, I don't it's a the question is should tax go up um i would say <laughs> it's not i would say no shouldn't, shouldn't go up. of course not but um it, it it will it has to go up. But I think it'd be great if we had no corporation tax. You take away all tax, it would wipe it all off the slate. But the, the country we're giving away money at the minute. We're chucking away money, so it's going to have to be. It, the coffers have to be filled back up again. Inevitably, a tax will go up, um, and then undoubtedly we'll have the Labour government again in three or four years' time, and, and they'll chuck, chuck a load more money at it, stuff again, spend it all.
1: Michael. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. I, I think that the sentiment of stop paying corporation tax, they'll spend money on growth. If it was us, absolutely. I would. Yeah. I would use that money to invest into the company and help us generate more um, jobs. Absolutely. But I'm probably like a really small percentage of business owners that would treat it that way. So some business owners, the company's already big. Not paying corporation tax just means more profit for them, and that's how they'll treat it. So I I can't see how, as much as I would like it, and I completely agree with what Kevin said, I I just can't accept that it's going to be a good thing long term for the country. We we have to accept, you know, people, it always makes me laugh how people hate paying taxes. And one of the things I always say is, well, we are in a fortunate position in this country. You only have to look at how other people in other countries have to live governments they're under and how restrictive it is we're in a fortunate position where i can grow a business like i have from nothing and earn you know good money that we've worked hard for we've worked smart for well i'm in a fortunate position because of the country i mean if i was born in a different country i might not have had the same opportunities to start with and i've had to worked even harder to get where i got so part of the consequence of that is yeah we have to pay taxes it's just is what it is isn't it so yeah i don't accept that a way forward I, I look listen we just recently moved house they scrapped stamp duty it came at the right time for us we save 15 grand you know awesome days, yeah yeah. It, yeah i mean i was really obviously chuffed about it you know and i wasn't saying no take that money back <laughs> you know i wasn't going to do that but at the same time obviously long term it can't happen i mean we was purchasing our house back in november i think we put the offer in so it was ages ago pre-covid anyway it just happened that that's how it fell for us so we was lucky and fortunate in that respect but then again we've also lost money because of how difficult it's been to kind of angle where we have been this year so I, i'm sorry that's a really convoluted answer Stephen.
2: no I, I, I think the um, the stamp duty bit is is interesting because of people i know that if it, have saved the money the 15 grand on the stamp duty they've not it's not the reason why they brought the house it's not the reason no. why they did it they've just saved 15 grand it's like crazy it's like they literally had 15 grand ready to give the government and the government said nah, nah, we don't want that now you just keep it so, like, oh, so here's nice.
0: here's a question then on that one the, um, the, the boss of AO.com said this, that um, talking about the retailers to Tesco's and, and Sainsbury's and that kind of thing, that the bosses should, quote, ask their mum if she's proud of them taking government funding and then paying it out of dividends, all right? Because they've all taken the money from the government in terms of their their, their reliefs on business rates and effectively paid the same sums out uh, as profit dividends, Um is it the same if you're buying a house and you've got the money ready to pay the stamp duty and the government say, have it off? Should you morally turn around and go, no, no, no. Oh, well, I've got the money. I can afford it. I'm going to pay my stamp duty.
1: I suppose a lot of it depends on what you do with that money, doesn't it? So in my case, we spent a bit more money on the house and I took less dividends out of my company um, and to, to mitigate some of the losses we've had this year due to COVID. You know, and I don't don't like to use that line a lot, but we we had a lot of struggles with supplies early on because a lot of supplies closed down. So we couldn't get stock, which meant we couldn't do the work. Um, And, you know, other than grow trees and make our own decking, that would have been pretty difficult. (laughs) So I, I, I understand what people are saying, but I think the boss at AO is in a very different scenario to somebody at our level. I think, yes, if you're the boss of Tesco, Sainsbury's, you know, blue chip companies hundreds of millions of profits, absolutely, I think that they are in a really good position to say, you know what, the government, we don't need that money. And some of them have, haven't they? Some of them have gone around and said, we don't want this money for, you know, uh, looking after you, uh, employing your staff and not using furlough. Yeah. So some of them have around and said, we're not going to have that money. And that's awesome. And But I have to say, the money that they've saved, they've benefited by good PR, you know, it's almost like cheap marketing for them. They've yeah. gone around and they've said that which I think a lot of the big companies are missing out on because they should do it. I think company like us does that. There's it's, it's pretty much no impact on PR or marketing for us doing it. So there's no point we'd rather reinvest the money in more training or more staff. That makes more sense to me. So yeah, I think
0: the corporate way of virtue signaling is the, the, the quote these days, isn't it? It's, it's kind of like, look how good we are. We've repaid all our furlough yeah. money.
2: Like, you know, I think yes. the government shouldn't have allowed it to happen. It shouldn't, it, it shouldn't have allowed it to happen to certain companies. It should have. There should have been some stipulation. There should have been a small print in the contract, Stephen. You'd like that. Um, to, so um, it's because
0: it's all rushed. It's, um, it's yeah. that's a, that's a bit of a tirade against the the way in which the government makes law these days. It doesn't go through Parliament, or the House of Lords. It just does it on its own. Back announces it at eleven o'clock at night the day before it comes into effect. It's not thought through. But mm. you know that's a different subject.
2: But then, but would, you, would you take it, it's just another, it's, a, it's another loophole, it's another thing, you've got someone who's probably finance director who's reporting to the board, their job's, at, not at risk, but their job's very dependent on saving the company money, and they give the board a proposal, we can save you a million pounds by taking this free money from the government. Difficult one, isn't it, really? It's a really tough one. It is. Um, here's a, 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 a different
0: question on a different subject for you guys. In Germany, um, they've brought out a law that uh, that is going to mandate that um, companies have to have a certain number of women on the board um, uh, to, to bring e- equality uh, in the workplace. Um, now, I appreciate that I'm perhaps not asking the right profile of people when I'm asking this question to you two, but do you think something like that would be a, a good idea in in the UK to, to mandate that you know, to force companies of a certain size, not small companies like you know what we've got, um, but a companies of a certain size to say Actu- actually you need to have 15, 25 percent you know women
2: in in your board makeup. Um, Kevin, I, I, it's a tricky one really, because I, I think it's good to have as uh, at board level running companies. It's as good to have as the diverse. A, a workforce as possible diverse of senior leadership as possible um, and I think it has many benefits um, many benefits mandating it is, is I think mandating it I just probably some companies just need selling the benefits of having a, having a diverse senior leadership team um, and it's not just um, gender it can be race it can be yeah, w- lots of different things um, religion where you live your life it's loads of things could go into that um i guess but it just people just need to see the benefits of having such a diverse yeah diversity
1: i thought you disappeared for a minute there Stephen. i was like is <laughs> he just dropped a bomb and then walked off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I talk about an awkward subject to discuss um yeah I, I would say similar to kevin but i i would say something slightly controversial uh, um is imagine that and even yeah imagine that and even might be seen as slightly sexist i don't understand why you wouldn't want women in the boardroom right so and, and i'm going to explain that answer in my company in the senior management roles i think they're mostly female right and what i tend to find there's virtues of both sexes, and we should all be treated equally, but we're not equal, are we? There's, there's obviously some things that we're just not equal on, you know, in terms of appearance or, you know, that women carry children and men generally don't, I believe. And I understand that it all wants to be equal, absolutely. But what I've generally found, and this isn't always the case, but women tend to be more organised, structured, you know? And in fact, in my business, I'm a massive advocate of... In fact, one client said to me, um, I bet you could wish you have a woman team leading every single job. And I said, yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> because Lindsay, who's my general manager, used to be a team leader on site. And yes, she was phenomenal. You know, she them rings around the lads. But, but it brings me back to, no, I don't think there should be a mandate. The reason I don't think there should be a mandate is because I think that it should all be done on merit. Merit of individuals and what they're doing however I do understand because I know that I'll get thrown this at me I do understand that's easy for me to say as a white privileged uh, middle class according to Stephen class. Uh, earlier on although <laughs> I said working class um, that that's easy for me to say and I haven't gone through them struggles so I do appreciate it's very difficult for any of us to really make an argument to and for and if they if, as if a society, we feel we need to do that to move it quicker, then absolutely. I think that in my life, I have grew up around, um, you know, um, grew up around having people of all different ethnic minorities. Um, you know, uh, I went to a big archery in Beecham. I think it was mostly Asian, you know, so I kind of grew up around it. Um my um, dad worked with a gay bloke. So I've kind of that's that's always been there. It's never bothered me. My daughter is 13 and she identifies herself as as gay. And it was never a problem for me and my wife. It was as long as you're happy, that's all that matters. I think, you know, you go back years and years, I think the response would have been very different. But to us it all just seems well, as long as you're happy, that's all that matters. I and mean, it doesn't matter to me. What sex somebody is, or what colour somebody is, it, it just—it's all on what you do and how you carry yourself. However, I do understand that unfortunately, not everyone has that view, and that's why they have to push for having mandated things like this.
0: Actually, it's—it's so, it's not quite that. So um, it, it's not because other people have views that, that you know, women in this example aren't, aren't good enough for the job. It's that the fact that because the, of the, the systematic uh, way in which women don't get that opportunity, they're not, they're not allowed or enabled to demonstrate to the business owners, the, the, the board, that they have the skills and capability to be able to do the job. So it's kind of like the, the put, mandate it because then the, that gives them the opportunity to shine rather than um, so to, to to go down that meritocracy approach they need that they need the ability to demonstrate their merit first they need to be given that opportunity to demonstrate the merit and then they'll show you that they are as good if not better than the male which is what where you've got you've you've given those um those those women in your uh, workplace michael that opportunity to shine and then they've taken it and ran with it and showed you that i am really really good and I, and that's right and that's brilliant and that's absolutely fantastic but it's it's the fact that they don't have that um that ability to shine so we need to give them a lift up
2: to be it's able ama- to shine it's amazing though but i bet michael i bet you was you didn't see a, a woman or a man standing in front of you when they went for that job you just seen no. like a, per- a person can you do the job
1: it's all about the efficiency, isn't it, and what they yeah. can do, and what they what they add to it. And I think that absolutely, st- I do understand what you're saying. And, and I remember some. I remember reading an article once, and it kind of said, you know, the reason there is a possible reason the reason why males get into these positions is because they they tend to be, and again, I'm being sexist to males here, I suppose, a bit more egotistical, a bit more forthright with their ability, where sometimes maybe women aren't so forthright with it. So. And then maybe that is a bit of a difference between the sexes and that, hence why they sometimes get in that position. I think that I've got no problem with it being mandatory, for example. I don't really think either way on it. I'm just a bit ashamed, if you like, or annoyed that we need to have it in the first place. Is that how people can't see pe- people for just being people? Yeah. You know, that yeah. that's really where I'm frustrated. Um, but I do understand that I'm not, Woman, although um, sometimes my wife questions it um, with the way that I am sometimes, um, it, her interpretation, of course. Um, but I, yeah, it's just such a difficult subject again for <laughs> for us to comment on. You know, and and easily could be construed either way, but I just wish people could see people as people. That that is my overriding opinion on it. Really. I, don't, I, I, don't, I think I,
0: I think it's a it's a great great subject. It's a really interesting subject. And in a couple of weeks' time, um, I'm I'm delighted that I'm I'm going to be hosting a uh, a podcast with a number of women and and um, in particular women from the BAME background um on and we're going to be talking about uh, diversity in the workplace and the issues and and, and their stories so that's going to be uh, coming on the this uh, business hero podcast yeah. in a couple of weeks time really looking forward to doing that talk to, talk to
2: them about getting men in the boardroom
0: uh, well, <gasps> yeah <laughs> i'll let you ask that question yeah um, so be more uh, men in the boardroom <laughs> yeah absolutely i i was picturing michael's boardroom of just some mirrors around him and then everyone <laughs> nodding <laughs> what do you think
1: yeah i agree too yeah no, <laughs> no i, I I purposely actually, it's really interesting you say that because because I think I think people would have that view, but if you look at what I have around me, is yeah, I have really strongly opinionated people around me. Good,
0: excellent stuff. Um, now, guys, was there any uh, any news stories this week that uh, that caught your eye that you think we should talk about? Um, Kevin, is there anything that caught your eye?
2: Yeah, um, Diego Maradona died unfortunately um, a couple of days ago. Mm. Um, passed. Um, I would argue that he's he, again reading some stories about him. Um, he's arguably the greatest footballer in the world ever. Um, the way he, again on in the eighties, again I, I was watching a, a foul that a, a gentleman called Cher, He broke his ankle. Is is the, the hacker of Bill Bauer or something? The the butcher of Bill Bauer, His nickname was this this um, Bill <laughs> Bow defender, and he, he he broke his ankle for when he was playing for Gosh. Barcelona in the, about eighty three. And also that chair scored a goal in the cup final that week, and he's got his um, boots in the, in a glass cabinet out um, that he broke Maradona's ankles with. Um, but it was just it, yeah, some incredible stories of Maradona. That obviously there was loads of um, loads of stories and loads of his troubles, but an amazing football. And there's also so many different sides to him, like what a charitable person he was, and yeah, full of life. Um, but um, yeah, it, it, well, what do you guys think? Is he the greatest footballer that's ever been? And was, who's the greatest footballer you've seen? You've there seen was this? two
0: two things that I found really interesting um, reading his obituary, which I didn't realize. Is number one, he is the um, the grandfather of Sergio Aguero's child. That's what a fact. That that kid has so, got you know? a, a massive destiny, surely, in front of him.
2: <laughs> um, do you know, do you know, he's godfather as well. No, Sergio Aguero's his son's godfather is um, Lionel Messi, I believe.
0: What I mean, so like, His honest... dad's
2: Aguero, granddad's yeah. Maradona, and um, his yeah, father ab- Messi.
0: Ab- absolutely. So that, that was what number one factor that was interesting. Number two fact that I found amazing. So in 1981, Boca Juniors signed him uh, for a million quid. That, that, that was a record for a teenager. Then a year later, Barcelona brought him for another world record of five million, 1982. In 1981... And I think I'm right in saying this, and he might correct me later when he listens back. I think in 1981, my dad bought a terrace house for 500 pounds,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they paid five million pounds for a player. And we talk these days about you know the the how how expensive footballers are and, and you know the, the football economy and how much it is. In 1981, for him to be five or 1982 for him to be five million quid, that was a huge amount of money. Something um, else
2: happened in 1981, Stephen.
0: What was that? Kevin Dunn was born. Oh. <laughs> Kev, <laughs> yeah. I didn't, re- didn't realise you were older than me.
2: <laughs> all that wisdom, all that wisdom yeah. that's lacking. <laughs>
0: there you go. There you go. Um yeah, Michael, what did you uh did you have anything on, on Maradona?
1: Uh, I mean, you know, obviously I wasn't about. When he was knocking about and doing his thing. So it's difficult to comment on his ability. He's always. Yeah, what Do you mean like if he'd have played against way. you?
0: Is that what you're yeah. saying? If he'd have played yeah, against I know, me. I
1: could have, I could have probably <laughs> have rated him as he went <laughs> round me and I was near <laughs> him. Um, but I mean, for me, the greatest footballer that's ever lived is, is Messi, in my opinion. I, from what I've seen, I, they're very different eras, of course. Maradona was clearly a genius and he would still be able to, if he, if he was the right age, obviously he'd still be fit and able in life, obviously to play in today's football. And I'm sure he would be excellent. Um, I think watching them and clips the I've seen, I think it's difficult to say anyone's quite as good as Messi, but it's an argument. that's irrelevant, really. There's just no doubt that he's had such a massive impact on the culture, yeah. um, you know, football and what he's done out of football, how he's treated. I mean, like he's got his own box. I think it's at Boca Juniors and, yeah you know it's, how I mean they're giving the him was. a there's a
0: 4 day memorial period in Argentina that's how important he is that's what we would give to like yeah. if the queen died here 4 days. Yeah. that's how you know highly regarded he is it's amazing
2: it's, it's yeah. interesting about messi that um that, that maradona says that um he basically paved the way for messi in the sense that he took all. He took all the broken legs, all the fouls, and basically allowed. He was a big campaigner for to FIFA and how corrupt FIFA were. Maradona was, by all accounts. And um, there's a really good article that um, Guillaume Baleg um, wrote. Yeah. I his name um, yeah. in, on the BBC website, which is worth a read. But Gary Lineker says some great stories about Maradona as well. It's just some loads of good stuff. But um, yeah, in fact, the, the, the greatest footballer. I'll chuck in the mix um, the original Ronaldo as well. Um, I watched him live at the King Power when they played Jamaica massive, massive. yeah
1: I would say
2: yeah it was a yeah. good one wasn't it it was, it was it the was, funniest, yeah. funniest game that I've been to loads of Leicester games in my time and that was the first game where cars were parked pretty much anywhere that was like two metres space anywhere near the ground the car was parked there like pavement grass verges everything it was just carnage. Um, didn't Frank Sinclair play in that game for
1: Jamaica? yeah he did yeah yeah he
2: Frank did. Sinclair yeah, yeah. Robbie Earl yeah. I think Robbie Earl played um, yeah, he had all the stars for Brazil, like Ronaldo, uh, Roberto Carlos, um, Rivaldo, just the full, the full shebang. Um, yeah, but Ronaldo for me, Ronaldo number nine. He was, he was, he was ace. Good players, he was him, good player. He's, um, yeah, very gifted.
0: Thanks very much for that, Kev. Michael, is there anything that uh, that caught your eye this
1: week? Um, it, it's not really this week, okay, but it ha- it is something that's happened. Recently, and it's about the uh, putting Premier League football games on pay per view. Oh, yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Now I'm going to have a really different view to most people's views. Okay. Yep. That is, I absolutely understand why it needs to be on pay per view. I cannot understand why there's been so much kicking off. About the games being on pay per view. So let me explain. I'm a season ticket holder at Leicester City. Okay, I love going and watching my team, and obviously through COVID, that's been taken away. I understand nothing could be done. It is what it is. We can argue about that until the cows come home, but ultimately, it is what it is. So I can't watch my football team. Now, Sky um, have a limited and BT have a limited amount of games they show every single week. Okay, and Leicester are on TV a lot anyway. So they're kind of covered most of the time, but there is going to be times when we're not normally covered on TV, okay? So why is it Sky's responsibility to show it for free? This is the thing I have the issue with. Why is it Sky's responsibility to go, okay, we're going to show it for free? There's going to be cost to them. I understand the camera's already there. They're going to do the commentary anyway. I get all that point of view. But why does it land on Sky's shoulders that they have to foot the bill and they have to show it for nothing? The cost, absolutely. Maybe it was too high. Maybe it shouldn't have been 15. Maybe it should have been 10. It would have been a lot easier for them. They probably would have sold more if it had been 10. I paid for the games that Leicester were going to be shown on because I don't care how many people are talking about boycotts. I'm like, no one's going to tell me what I'm doing with my money. And I want to watch my club play football. And I don't want to watch it on the bloody stream. I want to watch it in my front room. And I'm going to watch it how I want to watch it. And I accepted the cost on the basis that there's no physical way for me to go and watch the game. So I'm going to pay the cost.
0: Mm. So so I I think that links into what we're talking about earlier on, which is the entitlement culture. So what happened for, you know, first given the restart, the FA announces that no one can go to games. So we're going to allow all the games to be streamed for free. We had it for a lovely month and it was absolutely fantastic. Right. And then they went, well, of course, we're going to have to charge for this. And everyone had already become, into, you know, expectation was that these games should because be I'm- free. And then, and it's been the entitlement culture again that we sh- well, we should have it for free. Why shouldn't we have it Absolutely. for free? We should get it for free. And it's, and it is purely entitlement. Now, uh, uh, so I'm like, this is my view on this. They, they should, if they want to charge for their pay per view games, uh, for the games that aren't on TV, then they should charge for it. And that's, that's kind of the end of that. Now, I, I, I believe. Um, that all the games should be shown uh, anyway. And we should always have this option because I think it's brilliant. You know, if I want to watch, uh, you know, a match on a Monday night and fantastic, that, that's a flexibility. And what, what I always find amazing is the same people that have that entitlement view that all these games should be now free are more than happy to pay their 100 quid a month to Sky to make sure that they get the games already and their 450 quid to their club to have the season ticket but they're ten fifteen quid extra to watch another match, which they wouldn't have paid. Or the, which they would have paid if they'd have gone a season ticket because you know they'd have, they'd have paid for that yep. match effectively. I don't understand where they where they were coming from at all. Apart from, well, I'm entitled to it. I should have it.
2: But guys, I, I'm. I don't know if I'm disagreeing with you guys, but I, You're I, allowed I'm, to
0: say you disagree, Kevin. Yeah, and yes, so. yes.
2: This is the most controversial I've ever been, but some football. Some people football, are wrong.
1: It's football. football yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so. I just think Sky, even if they did it for free, they'd make so much on the advertising revenues and stuff. that They'd still make money. And BBC would... I, I could do it on one of my done it in 60 seconds. I could do it with a hanged camera and do it real cheap. But the, I don't think it's the entitlement culture. I just think the money in the game is just ridiculous. It could have easily said that they make so much money anyway and they've got an extra ability for an extra six games on pay-per-view... I appreciate they've got to cover the cost. So why don't they just cover the cost and say, look, we've got advertising revenue coming at this much. This is how much thing it, we ain't going to have any top, top draw presenters on here Cause I'm not that fussed about top draw presenters. We'll get a couple of wh- whoever to present it. Jamie Carragher. <laughs> Jamie, <laughs> Jamie, yeah, Jamie Do you know Be- that
1: some of the, some of the costs went to the club. Do you know that? It wasn't all to Scott. I think it was 50% well, no, of the costs. I appreciate that. Club.
2: But again, it's, we're talking top level clubs and, it this, I was going to half mention this in the furlough as well, that some of the clubs that took furlough, and the, the money in the game is just just stonking. And what, yeah, but isn't
1: it, it, isn't it all, and this is something else I have, like when people go about football as wages, that winds up a little
2: bit as well, because
1: isn't it all relative, right? Them companies, they are they are businesses, right? They're turning over a lot of money. You've suddenly took away a lot of revenue from them. Well, yeah, it's going to impact them. And it's okay. Oh, well, they've got loads of money, but debt is debt,
2: right? No, okay. So yeah. I,
1: I pre- it's relative what that debt is, isn't it? No, and, and, and even, uh, well, sorry, Kevin, just want one right. thing on wages. I and mean, you did not mention this, but I just wanted to bring it up. People go on about players' wages, right? Oh, they pay too much money. They pay too much money. If they capped all players' wages and they didn't get paid that much money worldwide, where do you think the money goes then? I'll tell you where it'll go. It'll go to the owners of the football clubs. So why shouldn't the players get paid that money? Essentially, they're taking the biggest risk; can get injured, the career can end. They're they're doing all the entertaining. Why should the managers and the players get paid that money? I think absolutely they should get paid every penny they get paid if that's what they've negotiated with the
2: clubs. Yeah, I I I I get that. Just on a, I get yeah, I'd agree with that. I've not got an issue to say with players' wages. It's more the fans that, like you're saying, you've got no worries about. If The thing is, I guess, fans, not got the fans because the fans want to watch football. They're addicted to the football teams. And if you were saying, Mark, you are saying, you watch it at home, which is great. If you, you could watch it at home, if they said, okay, we're going to charge £200 a match, you'd still watch it at home, I would expect, or £100 a match because they've got the fans. And it's like the football tops that go on say, oh, the football chairs, free, free tops every year, three tops a year, about 60 quid a top. It's obscene. Obscene. They don't need to do that. They're just. But well, again, they,
0: well, they do because people are paying for it. That's supply and demand. That's basic economics.
2: No, but it's, but if the, that's, but that's the market. But Kevin, but if you if you look
1: at football finances, there's not many football clubs yearly that are making massive amount of profit. I mean, even Leicester, who have made a lot of money on selling players, you actually look at their accounts at the end of the year and they're not making massive amounts because they're always constantly reinvesting. You know, it's only like when they're in the Champions League. I think they actually turn profit. So I don't, I don't believe. Like, I think it is all relative to, to you, just because you turn over hundreds of millions, well, your losses will be tens of millions. You know, so you know, it, it is relative to that. And I and, and I think the Premier League clubs could get away with not having fans in the grounds. I think there's enough TV yeah, money they could get away with it. Absolutely. Absolutely, I understand that. But I think the one thing I do really feel sorry for is the championship clubs, is the league one clubs, is belower than that level because they can't survive without it. Yeah. Um, and I do think that, I, I think the easiest platform, and I know it's been spoken about, and Simon Jordan's talked about it, is, is doing like a Netflix for football. Why the Premier League hasn't invested big money into it and done it and just got rid of Sky anyway? It, you know, that that surely is the platform to do. Everyone pays 15 quid a month. You can watch whatever game you want to watch. Surely that's the platform. Well, and I the think people that's, still get the same money.
2: That's like Amazon last last Christmas when they did yes. the Christmas thing. It was just outstanding. Everyone was like, "What are Amazon doing?" And it was just really, it was amazing. I hate to say it with Amazon because they're just going to take over the world. Um, but the <laughs> the one but then yes, yeah, it was a. I think that was a precursor to that, really. So Amazon basically have paved the way for the Premier League to do exactly that. But yeah. I, I I feel just. The fans, they're just they're there, just ready to. It all everything comes back to the fans. So whether it, it is subscription, Sky, whatever it is, everyone's because it's the viewers, the fans paying the money. And I just think- so they
1: aren't paying the season ticket prices now, are they? So they've saved that money, and they were effectively it's not as if they got by a pay per view every week. It would work out to something like once every four games or something. So say it is monthly, fifteen pound a month. Well, by the end of the season, that's going to be incredibly less than what a season ticket would be. And yeah, You can't perfect.
0: tell me the the, the the economics of a football match. You go and you've got your car park, which is a tenner, and, or, you know, your public transport in, which is, you know, half of that. And then you go and yeah, have yeah. some some food on it. And, and then afterwards, you go, and, you know, out for a, a couple of pints afterwards. Most people, even if they're going with a family, the, the go into the football match is probably 100 quid in a day. So yeah, why all of a sudden? I think Sky they, should put it up. That's what I think. Why all yeah. of a sudden <laughs> are they going? Oh no, that's an issue. I don't want to pay it. It's, because well, it's the same. To
2: well, that, well, to be fair though, that comparison is the same. To it's not the same. We're, we're not comparing the same things. It's like watching Moulin Rouge on the TV compared to traveling on Eurostar to Paris and watching it in in in, in live kind of thing. Moulin exactly. Is yeah, a bad yeah. Example. yeah, and the cost is incredibly I, I, less. The, the cost is incredibly less, but. It's not the same thing, is it? You expect it to be less because it's not the same experience you, you're getting. Yeah, but and I'm, that I just, is what
1: they get—a uh, fifteen-pound a match. It is less.
2: Yeah, it is. That's it is less. Thing. Granted, yeah, it is less. I think we're and turning, Stephen. We're turning. No, but they get—they're getting, getting more. They're getting more for it. I just feel like you have the fans. Tell them, old boy. No, it's just... No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too long in the two for this. Um, but if, basically, it should. They don't, they've not got the fans at the heart of their decisions in, the, in these things they do, and the fans are ultimately the fans do pay for it and I just wish they had the fans at the heart of it and made decisions. The football shirts I, I, I don't think there is a demand there. It, it's just you know if they charge two
1: pound if they only charged two pounds for the pay-per-view, Kevin, yeah they would have moaned about that. Guaranteed, there've been people moaning about it yeah they're, people they're just weren't going to win they weren't yeah. going to win whatever they did. And for me, they, they, we can't expect they're going to give it to us for free. I just, I just can't accept yeah, it. I, there, there has to no, be a cost. Okay,
2: it. I get it. I get, I get the freebie. I get the freebies off the table. Um, but I still feel that, um, they've just take the Mick a little bit with the fifteen.
1: They, they should have gone under ten quid. That would have been the easiest thing for them to manage the situation, wouldn't it? That that would have helped massively to have just got under that. Um but to me I still see it as great value but you know I I won't not watch my club so
2: then, but on top of it as well you can't it's not like it'd be great if you could get like a whole house full and have like a bit of a party at home and and watch it and stuff and everyone enjoy it together but which you can't do yeah Yeah, we can't really do it
1: let's talk about the handball rule because I've got a controversial (laughs) view on as well (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay now we're gonna be here all day guys VAR so this yeah.
0: um, I just I, I'll, I'll 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 stop there I think because this is uh, the Business Herald podcast not the football podcast so um, <laughs> we'll, we'll,
2: do, we'll do that when's another that one? time when's I that think. one Steve? We'll, we'll do that one another time <laughs> I was
1: only joking Stephen I wasn't really gonna go on a Michael around, you do boy.
2: you do fantasy football Michael? no I don't know. No, no, no no that's that would take a couple of days a week of your life that would
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just, it just the reason why the handball thing was funny to me is I sent a tweet out saying, well, it is handball, it should have been a penalty. And somebody I know replied to it and put, I don't agree. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I kind of went back to the and went, well, tell me why you don't agree. They didn't reply and it really annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I want to reply to all their posts going, I don't agree. Whatever they said, I don't agree. I
0: like the, um, the, the the meme that's been sent around uh, this morning on Maradona's uh, hand of God saying that VAR have re-looked at the hand of God and have awarded Manchester United a penalty.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> OK, thanks very much, guys, for coming along to this week's Business Herald podcast. I hope you both enjoyed being on.
2: yeah yeah. loved it mate thank you
0: excellent and thank you very much for listening at home if you've enjoyed the podcast do subscribe on wherever it is you download your podcast leave us a review that'd be fantastic and follow us on social media engage with us if you don't agree or you do agree with some of the things that we've talked about follow us on twitter linkedin facebook and uh, engage and have a chat with us but otherwise we'll see you uh, at the same time next week every friday uh, released at three o'clock on friday afternoon listen to the Business Hero Podcast thanks very much goodbye
2: you know I've got a namesake called Kevin Dunn who used to be a wrestler and yes. um, he, he owns he owns like 0.5% of um, WWE he's a shareholder
1: yeah yeah he, wow. the bat, he was one of the <laughs> wow losers, what a he? story yeah <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um,
0: Amazing story. I mean, you must dine out on that every day. (laughs)